We humans are ridiculous. Collectively, we've solved thousands of problems, from refrigeration, indoor plumbing, and cheap transportation, to water-efficient agronomy, video conferencing, and global access to knowledge. Yet, as individuals, we're scared. G'day, it's Peter, and welcome to Office Anywhere, a podcast about working and living on your terms, whether that's cutting code on the deck of a Balinese villa, crafting ad copy from a cafe in Portland, Oregon, or building websites from a home office in Melbourne, Australia. To learn more about Office Anywhere, just go to officeanywhere.co. Each of us has a device in our pocket, or more likely in our hand right now, that contains the answer to every question that we care to ask it. With just a few taps, it'll show us how to be healthy, how to make money and invest it, how to manage our time, how to live a balanced, meaningful and happy life. It's all there, yet at the moments of impact, we remain scared. Many of our beliefs and values, often decades or even centuries old, come from eras so far removed from today's realities that when examined in isolation, they seem ridiculous, and yet we cling to them. Take neckties, for example. A group of Croatian mercenaries who served in France during the Thirty Years' War of 1618 to 1648 used small pieces of fabric to tie the tops of their jackets. Their boss, King Louis XIII, liked them so much that he made them mandatory attire at royal gatherings. So, because the Croats hadn't figured out a way to button their jackets, and because the French king at the time was a budding fashionista, or influencer in today's parlance, we decided that it would be a good idea to strangle ourselves from Monday to Friday, despite the fact that our jackets and shirts have had top buttons for centuries. Okay, my point here is twofold. Number one, the beliefs we hold, hold us. And number two, the means to live a better life are unique to this century. Let's look at the first point, that the beliefs we hold, hold us. Now, I grew up believing rich people were shifty. If you were a millionaire, then you must have done something immoral to get there. Maybe you charged customers for 10 cubic metres of cement when their garage only needed seven. Maybe you sold insurance policies that paid the highest commission rather than the ones that your clients needed. Now, if you were a multimillionaire, then you were almost certainly a crook, probably the head of an underworld crime ring. This belief held me back for many years by preventing me from learning the skills, doing the work, and taking calculated risks to acquire wealth myself. It also risked sabotaging my efforts if I did acquire it. Today, I know a number of multimillionaires, and each of them is highly skilled, hardworking, and honest. Some enjoyed a bit of luck along the way. I think that's almost inevitable with anybody who's been in the game, whatever game they're in, for long enough. But most suffered setbacks too. All of them are what Gary Vaynerchuk calls macro-patient, micro-impatient. They play the long game, but in the moment, they work with intensity and focus. Now, there are lots of beliefs, like the one I just told you about, that hold us back. For example, beliefs like, who am I kidding, thinking I can write a book? I'm no good at presentations. No one in our family has ever been an investor. If I don't stay back late at work, they'll think I lack commitment. I can't raise my hand in a meeting. I'm only a mid-level employee. I'm too old to start a business. I'm too young to start a business. Once I get this promotion, I'll be happy. Now, as you might know, I've worked outside a traditional office setting for decades now, and millions do. Yet despite working with hundreds of people in the technology sector, I still see dozens who cling to beliefs like these. Innovation happens in meetings. 
open plan offices inspire collaboration. Accountability happens only if staff are visible. We need an office. Relationships only develop in person. Remote workers can't be fully trusted. If I want a promotion, I have to kiss the right asses. The irony is, most of these people claim that the results are what count, that it doesn't matter how or where you work so long as you produce. Some of these people are employees, but many are employers, and they should know better. I've come up against these and many other false beliefs over the years, and the evidence just doesn't support them. Indeed, most of the A-game operators I know don't wear ties, don't drive to an office each day, and they rarely attend meetings, at least not in person. So how does this relate to my second point, that the means to live a better life are unique to this century? Well, I've been using a computer since the earliest days of the internet, and right from the outset I knew that it would change everything. I'm referring to the internet here. I knew the internet would change everything. Computers had already begun to change everything a while before. Mostly, I knew it would allow people like me to do at least some of their work from home. Now, prior to 1995, this was something of a pipe dream. Today, though, it's a compelling reality. 25 years ago, there was just no escaping the Industrial Revolution. To work with a team, we usually needed to be in the same building. We would pass documents to each other, we held meetings in person, and we scribbled down notes from those meetings, which we later photocopied and distributed. We used snail mail, and we used fax machines. And if we were really high-tech, if we were really cutting-edge, then we recorded videos on a proper video camera, and then we burned those files to a disc. (laughs) The good old days. Among the many downsides of that era was that we hardly saw our families. And we faked illnesses to make personal errands. And we committed ourselves to our jobs so fully that the only chance to engage in other interests was on weekends or during our allotted annual leave at Christmas time. If we were really committed, well, then we'd limit those as well. That was my life last century. And boy, I tell you, it feels very last century now. Once the internet and email became reliable, well, reliable enough, my life changed. I saw, and thankfully so did my boss, a way for me to be more effective, more engaged, and more productive by staying home. And almost overnight, everything got better. I got more done. I enjoyed my work more, a lot more. I saved heaps of time and money and stress. I also saw my little girls grow up. I went to all their concerts, you know, the ones where they stand on the stage like a deer in headlights and they have no idea what to do. Um, I nursed my kids through colds. I took them to the doctor and I played with their brat dolls with them on the floor in their playroom in the afternoons. I took them to school and I went to all their parent-teacher interviews. Quitting the daily commute gave me the time and the headspace to pursue a few other interests as well, both business and personal. Plus, it helped me to develop skills that I'd never have acquired if I was sitting in corporate HQ. I saved on taxes, I saved on lunches, clothes and car expenses. I gave away all my ties, even my fancy Versace ones. Ultimately, it gave me a better life. And now we're facing a global pandemic, with no cure in sight for at least a year, according to the experts, possibly much longer. So it turns out that beyond improving my life, working from home might save my life too. For a long time now, I've advocated for remote work and the many benefits that it offers. Over the last couple of weeks, people have reached out to me regarding the coronavirus and how the ideas I share will probably get a boost from the current crisis. And it's true, a lot more people are working from home because of COVID-19. However, I maintain that it's a bit like waiting for a windfall before buying a dishwashing machine. 
you know that the machine is going to make everyone's life better, so why wait until Auntie Mabel falls off the perch before getting yourself one? I think remote work is no different. The coronavirus is making everyone sit up and reevaluate just what they can do from home instead of the office. In fact, the company that I do the bulk of my work for, I just found out this morning, we have about 130 staff um, across a few different states and in a couple of other countries, but it just um, came out this morning that apparently we can run the whole office with five people and everybody else can do their job from home, which is something I've advocated forever, but it's usually fallen on deaf ears. Well, now things are changing very rapidly. So with regard to the coronavirus, when a cure is delivered... The fact is the core reason for working remotely will remain. And that is, working remotely delivers a better life. Anyway, that's enough for me for this week. You'll find the blog post that goes along with this episode over at officeanywhere.co slash 99, which means this is the 99th podcast episode. So next week's one with the CEO of Bonjoro is going to be episode 100, which is wonderful. Uh, Serendipitous, I think. Anyway, I'll chat to you again next week. And until then, here's to working and living on your terms. See ya.